We're in a series called Grounded, and we're taking a look at those fundamental things that are important in grounding us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, this is decision day for us. And so some of you are here already immersed believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, you're, you're ready to be a part of this family of believers here. And so we hope you'll do that at the end of the service. As a matter of fact, if you haven't done so, fill out one of those cards. There should be a decision card there in the pew in front of you. Get that filled out and bring that with you. But more importantly than that, if you have never embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never made a decision to become a disciple of His, a follower of His, if He isn't Lord of your life, then I pray that before this day is over that you will have accepted Him as Savior and King of your life. No other way to be grounded than to be in Him first and foremost. Joseph was an excellent student. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, he was top of his class. By the time he was age 10, his singing was so good that he was being invited to sing at weddings in his local community. By the time he reached the age of 14, 15, somewhere along in there, he was offered a scholarship to attend a seminary in, in the neighboring community where he could prepare for ministry. And he seized that opportunity, and he went with the idea of training for ministry in Christ. But somewhere along the way, he came to a crossroads, and, and this crossroads became a real dilemma for him. He started to read some of the literature that had been forbidden by the seminary, writings of such revolutionaries like Karl Marx. And so the crossroads came, should he pursue ministry or should he pursue Marxism? When the seminary suddenly raised its prices right before the end of school and he could no longer afford to take the final exams that would graduate him, the seminary expelled him, and it was the last straw in his battle. He abandoned his faith, and he began to rise in the ranks of Rev Russian revolutionaries. History records that Joseph, Joseph Stalin killed as many as 20 million people in his reign of terror. Some say that figure is way too small. 20 million people. One has to wonder how history would be different today if Joseph had decided to preach Christ instead of communism. I don't know what kind of a crossroads you're at today. I can tell you this, that we all face crossroads on, on a daily basis. Um, what career path should I take? Uh, should I say yes to his marriage proposal? Do I buy a house or do I rent an apartment? Do I move to another location to look for a job or do I stay here and hope for the best? Do we plan on having one child or 14? The crossroads come at us one after another, and we must make choices that will impact our lives for the rest of the time we spend in this world. But those are easier choices compared to the one. You see, all of those choices that I make along that way impact what happens to me in this world. There is one, however, that impacts far greater than just these moments here. And it is my decision, your decision, as to whether or not we embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because the simple but profound truth is this, without any exception, because this decision impacts eternity, not just what happens in this world, but impacts what happens after this world is over, it therefore becomes the most critical, important decision I will ever make in my life and that you will ever make in your life. So how do we define this crossroads decision? 
You, you take a look at the crossroads of your life and then you realize that this crossroad involves itself a cross. It is a real cross roads. The question must be answered, do I believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I, I wish time would allow me this morning to go through the evidence of why we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. I don't have time. We've done that before. We'll do that again in the past. And if you have questions about why I believe with all my heart that it's true, I'd be more than happy to sit down with you. So would anybody on our staff. So would anybody in our leadership. Hopefully, any Christian that you know can share with you the reasons to believe, why the evidence is so overwhelming. But I'd like today to just start with the concept and with the assumption that he did die, he was buried, and he came back to life again. He was resurrected. Then the question comes, how do I engage with this historic event? How do I pledge my allegiance and my loyalty to Jesus Christ in light of what he has done for me? Now, knowing that those kinds of questions would come up, God created a profound response that is both monumental and simple. We call it baptism. It is an act that is fundamental to our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an act that only requires a few seconds to do. You put somebody under the water and you raise them back up. You can count the number of seconds on one hand that it takes, but it profoundly affects us for the rest of our life. It's keeping us grounded to our faith in Jesus Christ from that day forward and onward. And it's my hope and prayer this morning that if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, for whatever the reason, that today you will make a commitment to honor the Lord's command to do so, and that you'll follow the example of Christ as he too was baptized as an example that we should follow. So let's see how we can discover in Scripture what this beautiful picture of baptism is all about. Now I want to take you back to the very first time we find Christian baptism spelled out in the Scriptures. Now prior to the book of Acts, the act of baptism was the same as what it is in Christianity, but it was for a slightly different reason. John the Baptist came preaching and baptizing, and then the disciples of Jesus did the same thing, uh, but they were baptizing people as an expression or a demonstration of their repentance. But when we come to Christian baptism, the, the meaning changes, all right? And so the first time we find this happening is about 10 days after Jesus has ascended. Following his resurrection, he was here for 40 days. Then he ascended to the Father. And then there was a period of 10 days when the disciples and apostles waited in the city of Jerusalem. And we come to this Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And it is on that day that Peter stands up and preaches for the first time a message of the gospel and an invitation to embrace Jesus Christ. And he preaches with great passion. And so he comes to the end of the sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, and the people who are listening are, are convicted. They are cut to the heart, and, and they, they really believe. And this is how they respond. <clears throat> when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said, Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. Now, those who are afar off, that's us. 
The message is still for us. The invitation is still for us even today. And when you start there and you go through the book of Acts, you will find story after story of where baptism is an integral part of a person's relationship with Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is, is teaching the Ethiopian on his way back home to the country of Ethiopia, and he's teaching him about Jesus, and they're riding along in the chariot, and they come to some water, and the Ethiopian says, here's water, why can't I be baptized? And Philip says, if you believe, you may. And he says, I do. And they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in jail for preaching the gospel, and that night, they preach and they sing songs and they teach those who are in the prison. At about midnight, God sends an earthquake and the earthquake opens the doors of the jail and the chains fall off their hands and their legs and the Roman jailer thinks his life is over. As a matter of fact, he pulls out his sword. He's going to take his own life and Paul says, whoa, don't do that. We're all here. None of us have left. And this jailer who has been listening to the singing and the preaching and the teaching of the word all night long comes in trembling before Paul and Silas, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe, with the, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, and you'll be saved. And that night, it says, after midnight, he and his whole family were baptized into Christ. Three times in the book of Acts, we find the story of Saul's conversion. Chapter 9 tells about how it happened. And then Saul himself, now Paul, recounts the story in Acts 22, and he talks about the fact that Ananias has come, he's restored his sight, and then Ananias says, and now why do you wait? Arise, get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Even the great apostle Paul experienced this monumental moment. From the beginning of Acts all the way through church history, we have found this moment to be an incredible moment, not only in the ancient church, but in the church today. So let me see if I can share with you just a little bit about what the Bible teaches us with regard to baptism. Baptism, first of all, is beautifully symbolic. Now, I've often wondered if somebody walked into church on a Sunday, they'd never been in a church service before, okay? Their first time, they're a little nervous to begin with because they've never been inside a church before. And we have a baptismal service, and, and somebody goes into the water, they come up out of the water, they're soaking wet, there's hugs in the baptistry, and then all of us, yay, we cheer and clap and applaud. Don't you think that person is wondering how strange a group of people this really is? What is the matter with them? Because when you look at it without the background, it does look like a rather unusual thing to do. But once you know the heart and the soul and the symbolism behind it, it suddenly takes on this profound, incredible experience. Paul tells us in Romans, he's reminding the Roman Christians of what they'd done in the past. He said, don't you remember that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism, that in order as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now here's the picture person goes into the baptistry, they go down, arms come over their chest, their eyes close, their ears don't hear as the water surrounds them, they're not breathing, they look like a corpse under the water, we have a watery grave as the water closes over, we lift them up and they move and breathe and it's as though they have experienced a death, a burial and a resurrection. It is incredibly symbolic. It is the only thing you will do in your Christian experience that unites you with that moment in history. Paul even said to the Romans, you are united with him. It's like a branch grafted into a tree, and it is then twisted and turned so that the two are inseparable. Paul says that's what happens in this moment in that beautiful symbolism. 
But there's a flip side to that symbolism of a death and a burial. And it is this picture. And that is what we say when we are baptized is, I'm putting to death the old way of life. I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm not going to follow that path anymore. I'm not going to walk in darkness. I'm going to walk in the light. So I'm going to put to death this old way of life. And when I come up out of that baptistry, it's like a, a fresh start. It's a new life. Somebody put it this way. It's the only way you can kill your old man and get away with it. <laughs> the old man inside of me died when I made that choice. And what do we do when something dies? We bury it. Do you see this marvelous picture? What symbolism is there? It is also incredibly significant. It, it, baptism is more than just symbolic. It's significant. It's significant, first of all, in that it happens once in our spiritual journey. We don't do this every week like we take communion. We don't do it every day like we pray and, and, and follow God's Word. There are a lot of things we do all the time. But baptism is once. It, it, and it's like an anniversary that we look back to and we celebrate as time goes on. It's not an ending point. It's the beginning point. Baptism is significant in that it is our response to His grace. We are saved by the grace of God. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay for it. You do not deserve it. You cannot merit it. It is a gift. And we receive that gift through our faith. Through faith, by repentance, in baptism is this picture that is painted throughout the book of Acts. When Peter's audience asked what they should do, he said, repent and be baptized. It is this marvelous expression. It is a response to the grace of God. And sometimes people get confused and say, well, aren't you doing something to earn your salvation? No. I'm not doing a thing to earn my salvation. I, I'm just following what God has asked me to do. Besides that, Baptism is not something you do. It is something that is done to you. It is a gift that we receive, this marvelous gift of salvation. We do not earn it or deserve it. It comes as a part of the will or testament of Jesus Christ. This is a part of his dying commission to us. Let me see if I can put it this way. Let's suppose... <clears throat> that a long-lost relative of mine, fourth cousin three times removed that I don't even know, left something to me in his will. I get a call from an attorney, and he says, your distant cousin left you a Piper Cherokee in his will, and he wants you to have that as a gift. And he says, here's what you do. You meet me out at the Bloomington Airport at hangar number one at noon on September the 15th, and we'll sign the paperwork, and the plane will be yours. Now, where do you think I'm going to be on September the 15th? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be there on September 14th with a tent built outside. The, the number. I'm not going to miss this, all right? And you say, well, you don't deserve that. You're right. I don't deserve that. You didn't earn that. You're right. I didn't earn that. It's coming as a gift from a will. And so I show up on the right day at the right place at the right time. The attorney gets there. I sign all the paperwork, and I fly off into the sunset, and I pat myself on the back and say, didn't I do a good job of earning this? And you would say, you're nuts, and I would be. I didn't do anything to earn it. All I did was follow the instructions on how to receive a free gift. And you see, the thing about the giver is, the giver gets to determine how you receive the gift. I can hand it to you. If I'm the giver, I can hand it to you face to face. I can send it to you in the mail. I can have UPS deliver it to your door. I get to determine how you get the gift. This is God's will for us. It is the will and testament 
of Jesus Christ. We call it the New Testament, but that's what it is. It's a new covenant purchased by his death. And we simply follow the instructions on how to receive a free gift. Baptism is significant in that it is like a cleansing. You know, when, when you do something in water, it, the, the picture of washing is just there. We wash our dishes in water. We wash our clothes in water. We wash our hands, our face in water. Water is just this glorious picture of something being washed clean. And so is this picture of what baptism accomplishes for us. Sam Houston was an interesting character in history. His moral life was suspect at best. He was known for his fierce temper, for his womanizing, and for his excessive drinking. And yet, despite all of that, Sam Houston, as a general, led the army of Texas in its independence and served as president of the Republic of Texas and then served as governor of Texas when it became one of the states of our country. Later in life, for his third marriage, he married a really strong Christian lady, and she taught him, and he started going to church, and eventually Sam Houston gave his life to Jesus Christ and was baptized. And when the crowd gathered around the river where he was baptized and he came up out of the water, one of the people standing there said, well, General, all your sins have been washed away, to which Sam Houston replied, if that be so, God help the fish below. Now, we know that the sins aren't literally washed off in the water. We know there's nothing magical about the water. We know that, that the water isn't polluted when we are baptized. It's a symbolic act because only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away the sin. But Sam Houston did get one thing right, and that is simply this, that he was a great sinner, but all his sins were washed away in Jesus Christ and through his sacrifice. Here's another picture I want you to see, and that is that baptism is willful submission. It is making that decision ourselves and submitting ourselves to what God has asked us to do. I want you to see this uh, video of a young lady here, uh, Tara, in our congregation who recently was baptized, and, and just listen to her, her heart and her reasoning for wanting to do so. I decided to be baptized because I had not been since infancy and since I was raised in the Episcopal Church um, that was my baptism but then I've been coming to Sherwood Oaks for a while now and I was told that in order to become a member that was you know in needed so I wanted to do that and make my choice for myself rather than when I was six months old. I think it's significant because Jesus himself was baptized um, so that tells us something um, but I just really wanted that union that uniting with him and the Holy Spirit. I felt led to become a small group leader and I happened to just want to do a young women's group and when I approached them about it they said we uh, there's a huge need for that here at Sherwood Oaks for a young women's life group um, which I didn't know so that kind of uh, went hand in hand with the process of me wanting to become an official member and be baptized and then step into that role here. I came in during the week instead of in the middle of a church service because I feel like um, for me personally that's uh, very intimate and I just wanted it to be more private and I was more comfortable that way. So Mary was helping um, me correspond a time to meet with Pastor Allen and set up a time to be baptized and she was like hey he's here you want to come in at 10 and I'm like yeah let's do it you know so it was just kind of spur of the moment and I just came in and met these wonderful women downstairs in the office and they all kind of 
came with me and we went out to the baptismal pool and he baptized me and that was wonderful. Then on the way out he gave me some corn from a local farmer and that was much appreciated. So it was a great experience. <laughs> I can't promise you corn this morning, all right? <laughs> it just happened to be that day, which was a sweet thing for, for Alan to do. But I am, I am here to tell you, I, I love her willingness. Did you, did you notice her, her heart? You know, this is something she wanted to do for herself, and she, she did it willingly, not under coercion. She did it to follow Jesus Christ. It opened up doors for her, and, uh, and, and I, I love the spirit in which Tara shares her faith. It is an act of submission. This is not something you can do yourself, and there's a reason for that. You see, if, if we could baptize ourselves, there would be a reason again to reach around and pat ourselves on the back. But you can't even baptize yourself. You have to submit to somebody else doing the baptizing. And here's why. It's because you can't forgive your own sins. You can't wash away your sins. Only God can do that. And so what you're saying through this process is, I can't, I can't fix me. Only God can. And it becomes a matter of trust. And so you submit to what Jesus Christ has done, and you do that through this act of baptism. It is an act of submission. It is the most passive thing you'll ever do in your walk with Jesus Christ. Your faith is yours. You have to believe. I can't believe on your behalf. You can't believe on my behalf. Your repentance has got to be from you. Not even God can repent on your behalf. You've got to be willing to make the change. But baptism, you can't do that. It's something you submit to because it is a way of saying, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. Sometimes people say, well, a physical act can't have a spiritual meaning. Well, I sure hope that's not true. Because if that's the case, then the physical cross and the physical death of Jesus would have no spiritual impact on my life, and yet that is the very crossroads at which we stand. His death is what brings my salvation and yours. And do not think that baptism is a meritorious work. It is completely passive on our part. Salvation is not found in the act of the water and the deed itself, it is found in our obedience to Jesus Christ. Well, it is a once and for all sacrifice of Jesus that makes everything come together. So I guess the question that we've come to this morning is this, should I be baptized into Christ? And, and the simple answer to that question is absolutely, yes. Why not? Why would you not want to be baptized into Christ? You know, uh, I, I'll tell you this too. We try to make it as pleasant and simple here as we, as we possibly can. My grandparents talked about breaking the ice on the farm ponds in the winter to baptize people. We don't do that here. <laughs> the water is reasonably warm so that it is a pleasant experience here. Uh, and, of course, there are the proverbial stories of the preachers who don't do this too often. And so, as in the case of one where he put the person under the water and then started to say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We, we won't scare you like that either. We, we know how this is. It, it's a simple act. And I think we have made baptism so much harder in our minds than it ought to be. 
We, we ask questions. We battle with questions that really aren't the real question. We battle with things, well, is it necessary for salvation? Or what if a person is stuck in the desert and there's no water and they're about to die? Or at what moment is a person actually saved? You tell me the moment so that I know how all this fits together. I can't do that. I don't have a clue, to be honest with you. I don't know the mind of God, and I can't see into the heart of a believer, and I don't know where that split-second moment actually happens, but I know God does. But I don't worry about that. I just want to do what God has told us to do. Pretend for just a moment that you're on the, on the third floor in a room of a building that's on fire, and you're going to die shortly. And somebody, you need help. You need to be saved. And somebody calls 911. The dispatcher then calls the fire department. The fire department dispatches one of the fire trucks. The crew gets there, and the crew takes the ladder off, and they lean it up against the window or the building to the third-story window, and a firefighter comes up the ladder to help get you out and get you down the ladder. And the question is, when were you saved? What was the actual moment that salvation began to happen? You say, I don't know. I don't care. I just got out of the burning building. Because you know that every piece and part of that puzzle was necessary. If nobody had called, there would have been no dispatcher. There would have been no crew coming out. Every piece matters. But the when? Only God can determine that. It's what we do in obedience to Him that counts most. We're focusing on the wrong questions. The, the, the one question that we ought to focus on is this one. It's the same one the Ethiopian asked. Here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And the answer is, if you believe, you should. And if nothing else compels you about baptism, then it should be the baptism and example of Jesus and the fact that at the very bottom line, it's a command. And I don't know about you, but when Jesus commands me to do something, I think I should obey. I guarantee it'll be one of your more memorable experiences in life. I remember mine as if it was yesterday, April the 2nd, 1967. I remember this date too. June the 4th, 1977. I wear this ring. It's worn. It's beaten a little bit. But it grows more precious with every passing year. This ring Elsie gave me on the day that we promised to become one. I wear it through the ups and the downs, through the good days and the bad days and the tough days and the easy days and the joyful days and the sad days. Because you see, when you pledge yourself to one another, it is a lifelong pledge. Ba ba baptism is our pledge to Jesus Christ, and it's like putting on this ring. What would you think of a spouse that says, well, I love you, but I don't want the world to know that, and I'm not going to wear the ring? Guys, just a word of warning, don't ever say that to your wife. <laughs> but, but wouldn't you question the love or the willingness I think for us, baptism becomes that pledge. That's what Peter says. It's our pledge of allegiance to the Lordship of Jesus Christ.